Luke chapter 19, verses 28 to 44. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? Tell them, The Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it, just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? They replied, The Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's good to be back. Wondered if I'd come to the right church for a moment, actually, when I came in. It's uh, all changed. But let's pray. We have a, a great day, Palm Sunday, and a surprising king to think about. A great day and a surprising king. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this uh, very familiar story. A year by year on Palm Sunday, we remember this remarkable procession and this great welcome that the Lord Jesus uh, received in Jerusalem, but which lasted such a short time. Help us to recognize our King, worship Him, and follow Him all through our lives. Speak to us from Your Word this morning. Amen. So, a great day and a surprising King. I wonder which side you would have been on as Jesus rode into Jerusalem. Which side would you have been on? Would you have been amongst those who longed for His appearing, or would you have been amongst those for whom He wept, amongst those who did not know what would bring them peace? I wonder if you had been there. If I had been there, which side I would have been on? Would you have been crying, Hosanna, save us, O King, or would you have been crying, crucify Him? Perhaps we shouldn't be too quick to place ourselves with the disciples. On Friday morning at the prayer meeting here in church, our church warden, uh, Vicky Stansfield, got us to look at 1 Chronicles 29 
and verses 10 to 13. You might just like to turn to that, page 434, page 434 in the Bible. This was the Bible passage that we looked at before we prayed. And it's a passage where David, the greatest king in Israel's history, points to one much greater than him who is worthy of praise, who holds true sovereign authority. Let's just, let me just read it to you. Why don't we just read it together if you've got it open there? 1 Chronicles 29, 10 to 13. Praise be to you, O Lord, God of our Father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor, for everything in heaven on earth is yours. Yours, O Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. And in a, in a few moments of silence on Friday morning after we had read that, uh, I was uh, struck afresh, especially, I suppose, after 12 days in the awesome mountains around Verbier, I was struck again by the realization that the one described and praised by David, the creator and sovereign God, the one who made everything and rules everything, the one praised by David is the same one who rode into Jerusalem some 800 years later on a donkey. His is the greatness, the power, the glory, the majesty, and splendor. Everything in heaven and on earth was His. His is the kingdom. He is the exalted King over all. And now you see Him struggling up the road from Jericho to Jerusalem on a donkey with a ragbag band of supporters. The incarnation is a wondrous and surprising thing. In uh, his popular commentary, Luke for Everyone, Tom Wright has rather a vivid description of what the journey would have been like seeing Charles and Anne Clayton, who lived in Jerusalem for many years, sitting here in the, in the congregation, having they've made that journey, we've made it with them. They could probably describe it even better than Tom. But let me just read you a little bit of how Tom Wright describes that journey. Mile after uphill mile, it seems a long way even today in a car. You wind up through the sandy hills from Jericho, the lowest point on the face of the earth, through the Judean des desert, climbing all the way. Halfway up, you reach sea level. You've already climbed a long way from the Jordan Valley, and you still have to ascend a fair-sized mountain. It is almost always hot. Since it seldom, if ever, rains, it's almost always dusty as well. That was the way the pilgrims came, with Jesus going on ahead as he had planned all along. This was to be the climax of his story, of his public career, of his vocation. He knew well enough what lay ahead and had set his face to go and meet it head on. He couldn't stop announcing the kingdom, but that announcement could only come true if he now embodied in himself the things he'd been talking about. The living God was at work to heal and save, and the forces of evil and death were massed to oppose him, like Pharaoh and the armies of Egypt trying to prevent the Israelites from leaving. But this was to be the moment of God's new exodus, God's great Passover, 
and nothing could stop Jesus going ahead to celebrate it. Even when you drive rather than walk from Jericho to the top of the Mount of Olives, the sense of relief and excitement when you reach the summit is intense. At last you exchange barren, dusty desert for lush green growth, particularly at Passover time, at the height of spring. At last you stop climbing, you crest the summit, and there before you, glistening in the sun, is the holy city, Jerusalem itself, on its only slightly smaller hill across a narrow but deep valley. Bethany and Bethphage nestle on the Jericho side of the Mount of Olives. Once you pass them, Jerusalem comes into view almost at once, the end of the journey, the pilgrimage to end all pilgrimages, Passover time in the city of God. Would you have been longing for His appearing when He got to that great destination? Would you have been thinking that this is the great day that I have been waiting for? Well, I hear you say, yeah, I, I know my Old Testament. I think I, would have been, uh, I think I would have been ready for this great day. For instance, I know Psalm 24 and verse 7. Lift up your heads, O you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O you gates. Lift them up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Psalm tells me that the King will come to Jerusalem, so of course I'm expecting Him. But a King mighty in battle? Is this how a king leads his troops into battle? This king does not look as if he can take on the Romans. But of course, his rule has far outlasted Rome. You see, the Pharisees are not as unlike us as we might sometimes care to think. But now they had been pretty much convinced by the miracles. It's interesting that the, they had been convinced by the miracles. I mean, nobody... Nobody at the time denied Jesus' miracles. Nobody, no contemporaries ever denied that Jesus performed miracles. Denying Jesus' miracles is a modern phenomenon. The Pharisee had been impressed by the teaching, as perhaps we are, who could not be impressed, say, by the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest ethical address ever made, and acknowledged as such by people as diverse as Mahatma Gandhi, and the writers of the American Constitution. You see, the Pharisees were ready to welcome a tame Jesus, a Jesus who fitted their religious view. Such revivalists, in a sense, in Judaism were quite welcome. They might, in due course, get wiped out by the Roman occupier, but they did at least keep the flame of Judaism alive. But this dusty prophet, arriving on a donkey, would not prevent his followers hailing him not just as a great teacher of ethics, not just as a revivalist of Judaism, but as the Messiah himself. You see, here is no tame Jesus. He's riding on an unbroken colt, and he is an unbroken Messiah riding into his city. Okay, I hear you say, but I, I know my Old Testament better than that. I know Psalm 118, verse 25, for instance. Let me just read that to you for a moment. Perhaps we shouldn't be quite so surprised as we think. 118, verse 25. 
O Lord, save us. Grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord we bless you. The Lord is God, and he has made his light shine upon us, who, with bows in hand, joining in the festal profession up to the, the horns of the altar. Surely this is how the king would come. Oh, yes, you say, well, the Pharisees might say, but we can dismiss that as just a hymn sung by Jewish pilgrims as they came up to the temple for Passover. And poets always exaggerate, don't they? But you say, what about Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9? Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you righteous and having salvation gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And I say, great, now you're getting close to it. But who reads Zechariah? But do you see what a great day Palm Sunday is? What a great day it is. This is the moment they have all been waiting for. The king has come to his city. But what a surprising king he is. What a surprising king. In 12 days' time, our country will come to a standstill as our young and handsome prince stands with his beautiful wife before the Bishop of London, I think, and makes his vows. And we will hail our future king and his lovely princess. We will shout, Alleluia's and pray that their marriage and his reign will be long, prosperous, and happy. Quite rightly so. We might, on that day, in, uh, in a few days' time, reflect for a while on the great lady who has held the office of queen for nearly 60 years, and done so with dignity, devotion, and I'm sure, personal Christian conviction. And we will hope and pray that her son and grandson will match her service to our nation. You see, we have models of kingship with which we find it relatively easy to relate, even in the 21st century. But a king who arrives on a donkey, not in a carriage or a posh limousine, a king who weeps over his city rather than waves politely from a palace balcony, a king whose coronation speech does not speak of prosperity and happiness, but judgment. Let me just read again verse uh, 43 to remind you of what Jesus says uh, on his coronation day, if we can call it that. Just uh, let me read again those rather shocking words. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. If you even you had only known on this day who would bring you peace, the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Not quite the encouraging address that people expected. This king, you see, will reign not from a gilded throne, but from a wooden cross. We begin Holy Week today. That's why, as Pete says, the church is laid out in a different way. <clears throat> the church is going to be open for prayer all through the day. <coughs> we are encouraged to come 
and watch and pray. And each evening we'll gather as a church together to pray, uh, to pray and worship the King who is amongst us. And you might want to examine yourselves, as I might as well. How much Pharisee is there in me, and how much disciple? Writing to Timothy, St. Paul wrote this, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to those who have longed for His appearing. Have you longed for His appearing? A friend commenting on that, friend who works in sports ministry, used to work in sports ministry with me, comments as follows on that text. On the 25th of October, 1999, Payne Stewart stood on the steps of his home and blew kisses to his wife and children. Later that day, he died in an aeroplane tragedy. He was the reigning United States Open Golf champion. At 42, he was in the prime of life. How can we make sense of his death? At his funeral, his friend and fellow pro golfer, Paul Azinger, ended his tribute with these words. Payne Stewart fought the good fight. Payne Stewart finished the race. Payne Stewart kept the faith. Now there is in store for Payne Stewart the crown of righteousness. It was a poignant moment in a church filled with a congregation which included most of the world's top golfers. Paul Azinger was absolutely right. Payne Stewart was a sinner like the rest of us, but he believed in Jesus, and when his race was finished, Jesus was there to give him the crown of righteousness. And don't miss the end of verse 8. The crown of righteousness is not just for Paul, not just for pain, but for all who have longed for His appearing. That includes you and me. Crowns, you see, are not just for kings. Let's pray. Father, as we begin this week and as we, in our minds, uh, rehearse, uh, rewalk. Uh, those footsteps that Jesus walked as we move through the week towards Good Friday and sit again at the feet of the cross and see You dying as our substitute in our place, taking the righteous judgment of the Lord God Almighty upon Yourself. We pray that You would strengthen our faith, that You would help us to understand the seriousness of our sin and the greatness of your salvation, and strengthen us to follow Jesus along the dusty roads of our lives into the future. For we pray in His precious name. Amen.